This is the Job City Podcast. Welcome, everyone. For those of you who are new to Job City, we specialize in nearshore staff augmentation for software development teams, providing our clients full time, dedicated developers from Latin America that work remotely yet alongside our clients' teams in real time, meaning there are no annoying time zone headaches. In each podcast, we will be sharing with you interesting episodes about technology, remote work, software development, industry updates, and more. We will have interviews and conversations with our developers, our management team, and also external guests, including our clients and other relevant professionals from the industry. Thank you all for tuning in. Let's start. Welcome, everyone. This is the sixth episode of the Job City podcast. This chapter is special because we have here with us our CEO, Andres Garzon. Today, we will discuss leadership and everything that goes around it. Thank you, Santi. Thank you. I'm really excited to be participating in this conversation. And uh, to tell our listeners about our experience as a CEO and leading Job City through good and hard times. Excellent. Excellent. Um, to begin, uh, let me give a little background about how Job City was born. It all began when Andres moved from Quito, Ecuador to New York City uh, for graduate school. His student loans, uh, which seemed ample back at home, barely covered rent in those times, let alone food and transportation costs. So acting quickly and armed with years of programming experience, he set out to find a job. During the interview process, uh, he stumbled upon a business opportunity. He saw that U.S. companies needed web programmers, but when they outsourced the work to India or Europe, they ran into quality or time zone or communication issues. So Andres's mission was to set out to solve this problem. Then he planned to recruit developers in the U.S. and Latin America, trying to circumvent this time zone issue. And I understand that from the start, the mission of Job City was to find and develop top talent. By the way, everybody, the name Job City is a play on the word university. Um, it speaks to the ongoing training and education available to all of our employees. In this story, we started to see your leadership attributes, Andres. So, can you tell us about leader and leadership? Sure. Um, thank you, Santi, for, for your words. Um, and um, when I started, I already had started five companies before Job City. So, it's a lot about you know, trying to be persistent on something. That's, that's part of leadership. Persistence is, is an attribute that a leader needs in order to start anything. Because you, you're not going to be good at something at the beginning and, and you're going to get frustrated a lot of the times. And the other one, um, the, the other attribute in leadership is you have to be brave, right? Um, brave in, in the right sense um, and take risks. Basically, uh, when I went there, I went to look for a job. And at the end of the interview, I saw this business opportunity, as you said, and I risked it. Why I risked it? Um, because I just knew that in South America, they were good developers. 
And I just knew that in the U.S. they they needed this type of service. Um, then I didn't know how much to charge. I didn't know how what what to do. But I saw the opportunity, and and, and I said, well, guys, I have people in South America that uh, might be able to help. And that's how um, how uh, risk is 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 taken. It, it's when when uncertainty hits you, because you I, I I didn't have all the answers for for many of the questions there. I, I just I just knew that that it was um, a good opportunity. And then um, then I went and uh, and hired some people um, in South America, and and I provided the company with with solutions. And that's, uh, that's how I started. It, it all started that way. That's a great story, Andres. So it is not really a blind risk that you took. You knew you had the tools, you had the vision. So uh, the risk was, yes, you know, putting all in the same pot, but you knew where you had to go and you had a plan. That is really amazing story, Andres. So there is a series of four blog posts called Thoughts on Leadership uh, that you wrote a while ago. I would like to make a reference to what you said in those articles and ask a few more questions just to have all the information complete. Sure. In one of the blog posts, you mentioned that in order to develop leadership, you have to break it down into two key actions. You said, live through your values at home and work and become the culture you represent. Can you elaborate more on these two actions and, and, and how, how that helped you with leadership? Sure. I think uh, this is uh, something that only time can teach you, and it is important to understand. You mentioned uh, live through your values at home and work. What does that mean? That you have some values, and a lot of people, we have values that end up when we come home And we have different values when we ended up when we go to work. So, for example, one of them it's you know respect, right? Sometimes you respect differently when you're at home and when you are at work to different people, and that's that's not okay. I think leadership should be represented in 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 all the levels of of life. So, and the other the other thing, for example, it's um, hard work. So hard work, for example, if you work, you work really hard at your job and then you come home and you don't do anything, it, it's like you're not representing who you want to be. Um, and the same thing with, you know, if you like quality stuff, right? At work, you have the best computer, the best headphones, um, you do excellent job, you go at home and you buy the cheapest knives and then you don't, you, you can't cook correctly. Um, so I think that's that's what I mean. I put really simple examples so 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 you guys understand what I mean. It's like you know, the values have to represent a whole of yourself at work and at home. And um, and what I mentioned is this this is very important because that determines who you are. Because at the end of the day, when you have problems, if you don't practice this at every level of your life, you're gonna get in trouble or you're gonna change your your, your the way you act. The same thing with uh, with the culture you represent, right? It's like when you're in a family, you have uh, your children or your parents used to tell you, hey, you know, don't eat with your mouth open, say hi, say thank you. And that's part of a culture because if you don't, if you don't say those things, then you're going to have one culture anyways and not necessarily the one that you want to become. 
Um, so in leadership, you got to act with the same culture in every level of, of the things that you represent, home, work, friends, family. And that's, that's exactly what I wanted to, to mention there. Exactly. I understand what you're saying. So it's like, if you want to be excellent at work, come home and also be excellent at home, right? Exactly. Play with your children, dedicate time to your family, the same way you dedicate time to your colleagues and your work. That's a great advice. Um, there is this phrase you wrote on one of the blogs. A leader needs to read more and not only books. What do you mean by that? Sure. Um, it is important to, uh, to understand that reading, you, you, can, you can distribute it into two, two levels. One is the regular reading. You read books, you read blogs, you read uh, different stuff on the internet and you learn from it, you apply it. But then you need to read people. You need to read situations. You need to observe. That's what I mean there. So sometimes what I've seen is that a lot of leaders or a lot of people that, that don't get leadership that seriously, they read a lot, a lot, a lot. They read many books and then they don't apply it. Um, and that's what I, I meant by not only books, because when you try to apply uh, something that you read in a book, uh, you have to observe. You have to, to see how they react. I think it is important to read people, read situations, read um, feelings, and act on them. Act on them based on, on this perception. So a leader has to have you know that part that, it, that comes through um, intuition and perception and that part that comes from intellect. That's what I try to say there is like reading books and, and educate yourself is a lot of intellect. And then when I say not only books, it's a lot of uh, gut feeling, it's a lot of intuition. And that makes a good leader because I, I, I'm going to tell you from now, 50% of the, of the situations that you have to make a decision, you don't have a clue or you're not sure that you're going to make the right decision. So that's when, that's when it comes into play is like, the intellect helps you make decisions that are smart decisions and the intuition makes you make decisions that are more intuitive and and it makes you sometimes make the right decision not sometimes i think most of the time it is more important than you think to read your intuition but it has to be together with with the intellect because the intellect will help you read the situation better read the the, have more tools, have more analysis to make the right decision. That's what I mean there. Perfect. I understand. So it is like reading the information that surrounds you and using it to guide you. You need to be aware of the whole picture. You need to be aware of the people around you. So you talked about leveraging people. Is this maybe uh, related to trying to find a mentor? What do you mean by, by leveraging people, Andres? Yes, Santi. I think uh, leveraging people, it's a, about finding a mentor. But mentors are, are not necessarily only people that you admire or people that, uh, that you think are, are much better than you. That's the wrong concept of a mentor. A mentor can be from many levels, right? And sometimes you need you know mentors for different stuff, right? So some, like for example, myself, I, I use mentors for, for my, my emotional uh, decisions. Um, and not necessarily are people that are experts in business, 
but have a very strong emotional intelligence. Um, maybe they don't know anything about business, but I ask them some questions about that. And they happen in the most informal way, you know, maybe, you know, having a cup of coffee uh, in an informal chat. Some, some, some of them are, are friends. And then you have, of course, the mentors that help you with the business decisions, the intellectual uh, part of, of, of what you do. But leveraging people is also about spending money, right? Because you have to hire consultants that help you make decisions. And they can also be mentors. Why? It's because the fact that you pay someone to help you doesn't mean that they're not mentors. They might be called consultants, but these people have seen other stuff that you haven't. And it's important to combine those two because you're not always going to have the, the, the ability to have people working for free for you, especially when you don't have the credentials yet so people pay attention to you, right? Um, what, what do I mean about that is like when you're starting off as a, as a leader and as, a, as an entrepreneur or a company or anything, um, people won't believe you, even if you're right. Why? It's because you haven't done anything that you deserve to be believed. And that's a lot of the times the problem is that you have to respect that as well. Uh, as if you're a good leader, you have to respect that you're not there yet and you can get angry or you can get pissed by people that will say no to you. So what do you do there? It's like you pay them, right? You know, you don't have to pay a lot. A lot of the times you just have to, you know, be willing to, to pay some something to, to leverage these people. And that's what I think in all my life. It's like, that's a lot what people have not done compared to the other leaders that I've seen. It's like, I'm willing to spend money on me, not only on education, not only on, you know, school or or going to an MBA, but also on excellent mentors and people. Because when you do that, you can take advantage and you don't feel like you're taking a lot of their time because you're paying for it. So that's what I mean about leveraging people. You have to mix them in, in all the senses of, of the word. Excellent. So I can say that maybe the difference between mentors and consultants is that consultants you pay. Is that correct? Yes and no. Um, what I what I mean it's that uh, a mentor is somebody that will inspire you, right? A consultant can be the same thing. I think, of course, a consultant is, is paid, but a consultant can be hired to do a specific job, right? Let's say you know I want to do an analysis of my sales methods, right? So I hire a consultant, and he or she will will do that stuff. But at the same time, when you hire a consultant that you become friends and then you and then you leverage on these people to ask more than just the work that you hire them for, they become a mentor, right? Or, you know, a consultant that you hire for mentorship can also be that. So I had a coach, for example, in New York who was a business coach. She will do stuff for me and she will also mentor me in making decisions. So that's an excellent way of differentiating the, both of them. I think um, at the end of the day, is the concept that differentiate the, the two of them because there are also mentors that can be paid. But I will say that consultants are more for specific stuff and then they can become mentors. Are you currently mentoring someone? That's a great question. I'm always mentoring someone. It's my nature. Um, mentoring is part of life. You, you have to give, give back. That's... Uh, that's my philosophy. And 
Now that, that we are an Endeavor company, um, that's even more um, real with, with, with them because their mission is to, to, to do that exactly. And um, I am mentoring a lot of people all the time. And sometimes I get invited to, to mentor companies. And sometimes I do it by myself because I just, I just want to. Uh, and mentoring is something that you have to have to practice. It's not something that, that comes along easy because if you're gonna say yes, you gotta save the time to to help someone. And the important thing here is like if you if you think of becoming a mentor to someone, um, is that you gotta put the rules very clear from the beginning um, to the person that you're mentoring to. What that means is like, okay, you're gonna get one hour of time a week or every two weeks. You can ask me three questions via email a month and you cannot call me at any time <laughs> because that's, that, those are the rules that determine a good relationship. And I think the only, the only time that, that things have failed have been when, when people start abusing a little bit on the uh, trust that you give them. And that's, uh, that's what I think uh, mentoring is for me. Excellent, thank you. In the third article of the series, you gave a statement. Leaders need discipline. I think this is very important. Can you please tell us a little more? Sure. I think uh, discipline, it's so important in life, right? So in that article, I mentioned a quote from Elliot Kipchoge. Um, he's a runner, he's a, he's a marathoner, and he actually was the one who broke the two-hour mark on the marathon. And he had a saying, a quote that says, only the disciplined ones are free. If you're undisciplined, you're a slave to your moods and your passions. And if you, if you analyze the quote really close, it is the opposite of what people think, right? People think that discipline will take your freedom away. And it's the opposite. Because when you're disciplined, you do what you like, but you you not always want to do what you like. You have always this, you know, oh my God, I have to do this. Oh, I have to sit down. Oh, I have to finish that report and finish that sales analysis, make the decision. And if you build a system around that in business, it will take you to the next level. And that's what I try to do there um, in, um, in the company. So for example, we have a KPI system and an OKR system in our company that we analyze it every week. We don't stop never to do those meetings every week because that's where we make decisions. That's where we see what's going on week by week. And sometimes it can be like, what are we doing this every single week? And all of a sudden it makes sense when time comes on because discipline is that way. It's you repeat, you repeat without thinking it too much. And then you'll see the results after a while. And that makes a huge difference. Excellent. Thanks a lot. That's very clear. Let's switch a little bit and move the topic to processes. What processes do you have with your teams that require discipline from them? Can you give some examples? Processes are very important for any company. And we do have a lot of processes. We are a process-oriented company. And as, as you grow, you, you, they become very clear why they are important. Um, 
I just had a talk with my COO recently, and, and he was saying, when we started this journey a long time ago, you always wanted to record the processes and make sure that we have everything written down and that you wanted always two people to know the same thing. And I, I never understood this. He, 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 I remember he telling me. And recently he said, well, now it makes sense. Why? It's because when you grow, if there are no processes, you are in a very difficult position. Why? It's because everything, it's not organized, right? And so a process is, is a simple way of organizing information and to make sure that if you don't know how to do it, you go back to your process and you do it the way it says. Processes change all the time, especially in companies like ours that are, are growing. And the important part there is that you're open to change, and then, but you write them down, right? So some, some processes that we have, it's, for example, we have a very strong accounts receivable process. We know how to ask for our clients to pay us, right? And we have reminders. We have a very organized you know, invoicing system, an escalation system, and those systems correspond to the whole process that make the accounts receivable process. We have a very strong recruiting process, right? where the recruiting has a whole team that has KPIs, that we do interviews, we do challenges, we do hacker rank in, um, tests, and all those become part of the process that are, now it's part of the software. So I think uh, those are some examples. We also have a very strong sales process where we have initiatives, we have a way of communicating with prospects, a way of communicating with clients. And those examples are some of the things that we do at JobCity that if we didn't have them, you know, the company will still function, but in an undisciplined way. So that I think that's what makes a successful process in a company that you have the discipline to execute the process and you have the information very organized. That's excellent. So as a result of those processes, um, you can also see client satisfaction because they see an organized company, they receive the communications properly, the channels are respected, and I assume that that keeps uh, uh, our clients happy. That's, that's excellent for our listeners to know. Yeah, I remember when, um, when we were doing a pretty big project with NBC Universal, um, I always had a, a client, she was the VP of engineering, that used to tell me, you have to be bottom up, you have to be bottom up. You have to be bottom up. And that's an interesting saying because when you are ready and you are prepared and you are always thinking of, of being ahead of the situation, it's part of a process that will make you act better as a company and as an individual. So that's what clients feel. And I, I appreciate some of the initial clients of Job City that put the bar so high so we can make better processes and be always bottom up, as she would say. Excellent. Thank you. I liked a lot the last article of the series where you wrote about the two types of humility. You said that a leader only needs one. Can you share with us uh, your thoughts about this and maybe explain a little bit about the good humility and the bad humility as you wrote? Sure. Humility, it's sometimes not understood. Humility can be confused with, uh, with being soft or being a nice person, right? 
And to me, humility is the ability for someone to receive feedback in a good way and change. What I try to say there is that um, sometimes feedback can be really tough on you and on the company and on everyone that you're around. And when you're trying to be humble, means that you're willing to change to make things happen. Sometimes people assume that being humble means being a good listener and being conflict averse. And that's completely the opposite of humility. A humble person, it's someone that will fight for their own believings, will fight for their decisions. For example, this is, this is very, very strong in, in, in New York, for example. It's like people will, will talk to you. Very famous people will talk to you. I, I remember going to some meetups and some conferences in New York, and I will meet, you know, the CEO of, of StarTech, COO of pretty big companies, you know, the guy that managed the Scrum uh, initiative at IBM, and all of them, all of them were really nice people, right? They will all talk to you in a personal way. But when you try to, to talk to them and to give you advice, then they will, they will cut you off, and they will say, well, and they will not answer, and they will leave. That's what I mean when, when people confuse humility and humbleness with good listeners and, and being conflict-averse. Because humble means that you will understand where your position is, and then you will talk people of your level. And, and a lot of people get offended by leaders that will not pay attention too much to you. And you're not humble enough to understand that you are not there yet. And that's part of humbleness, right? So that's what always impressed me about New York is like people will listen to you, will talk to you, but if you want to talk about business, they will not talk to you unless you did something amazing. So it's a, it's a meritocracy conversation level. And humbleness, it's in between there for both of them, right? So being nice, being a nice person doesn't mean you're humble. And that's what I wanted to put in this article is like a leader has to be humble to understand where you are to listen to people advice, but also not to listen to people that are not on your level. Because if you listen to everyone, first, you'll be listening all day long. And then second is like, you'll be listening to the wrong advice. And the humbleness there and humility there, it's the ability to separate those things and make sure that you are in the right position to listen and lead in, in that way. That's what I, I wanted to say. So that's the difference I will say, Santi, um, between the two of them. That's that's really interesting. That means that being being humble can also keep you focused, right? As 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 you mentioned, uh, the second example of the of the leader uh, in New York who would, uh, if you try to talk about business, they will maybe just walk away. Then that way they keep they keep their focus. Uh, that's very interesting. That's very interesting. Thank you, Andres. One more thing I wanted to talk with you, which is the COVID crisis. It has um, hit us hard, our company, and all over the world. As a leader, how did you manage that crisis inside Job City? That's a great question, Santi, and thanks for asking, because it was a pretty tough time. I want to mention a book there. This book is called The Hard Thing About Hard Things. And the other book that I want to mention there that you guys should read, it's uh, Good to Great from Jim Collins. So those two books are excellent books that talk a lot about crises. But you read the crises, you read about crises, you read about the solutions of crises, you read what you need to do. But not always, not all the time you have the chance to make those decisions, to put them into test and to live through them. I think COVID was the exception. 
all the things that I've read in books about crises happened in, in the COVID era, when, when COVID started. So remember in the beginning of the podcast, I mentioned about uh, reading and two types of reading, reading from the intellectual part and reading from the more intrinsic part. And I, I think that's where, where things were applied. When, when the COVID started, a lot of clients started to, to fire us. And the first thing was, you know, don't overreact, don't panic. So I think that that's a very important thing to have in mind when you're a leader. You have to see the big picture. You have to relax. And if you're too stressed, shut down the computer, go do some exercise and come back and start analyzing things. So don't panic. That's the first thing that, um, that happened in COVID because, you know, every day clients were firing us, firing us, and we didn't know when this was going to be over. So I took the leadership of the company and we started analyzing the situation, creating scenarios, right? What if, what if, what if scenarios? So the what if scenarios involved, you know, financial decisions, firing our own staff, cutting costs. And some of the most amazing financial processes that we have today came through that crisis because I always wanted to have such beautiful processes, financial processes in the company, but because they were not so important to make decisions, we didn't have them. It's not an excuse, but that happens a lot of the time. Crisis create opportunities. Now we have a very strong financial process that help us make a lot of good decisions, either if we are in a crisis or not. So I think that's how we started to lead the crisis. It's like, okay, don't panic. Let's create a, a small group and start making financial analysis and scenarios so where the company was going to go and then make decisions that's when when um, heart and, and gut feeling comes into mind the perception part of the of the of the story that you don't read at books and that you have to make decisions right it's like well okay you're gonna have you have to fire 10 people how well, you gotta do it when tomorrow today in a week we did a lot of stuff that were against people, against clients. And when you make a decision, you gotta make a, a smart decision, right? You, want, you, you do the analysis, you do the communication, and you start by analyzing the consequences of your decisions. You, you will not always have all the answers, but at least what you will have, it's the analysis to back your, your thinking away. So once the decisions were gonna be made, you create a communication strategy. That's what we did. And this came through the board. That, that was interesting because the communication strategy came from, from our board of advisors that said, well, over-communicate, over-communicate, and over-communicate. You gotta over-communicate with your clients and you gotta over-communicate with your employees. So that's when we started at the beginning, a daily update. Daily update of what the situation was, right? First, a first meeting with all the staff that will say uh, about the situation of the company as well as the situation of clients because you know, employees will start started to see just that clients will were, were started to fire us and then they will also were in uncertainty. So I said, well, we have to tell them what's going on and we have to tell them to every client. So we did contact every single client and ask for a meeting and not as a regular email with a communication that it was one one email for all. It was a personal email from me, the CEO, to personally talk to each of our clients in a phone call, right? That's showing leadership, you know, it's like, show your face. The same thing with employees. I didn't call every single employee, 
but I did a, a all the company meeting and then I mentioned that anyone that wants to talk to me personally they can slack me and I will have a personal conversation with them around 20 people did so I did that and not only once but several times so I started with the communication strategy every single day and then as time passed it was starting to become a little bit less frequent but it was a mix of being positive being honest honesty it's it's a very very good way of maintaining the spirit of the company even if you have to communicate the worst news and i think that was something that uh, people appreciate you know we were very honest with everyone even with the people that were were let go and then we're also you got to over communicate over communicate with clients but at the same time this is the time when you need to help because not everyone is going through the same thing So when we contacted our clients, the first thing was, okay, client number one, what do you need? What do you need us to do with you? And instead of going, hey guys, no, you know, be careful if you do something you're going to regret, we started a negotiation with them. What do you need? Let, let's see if we can help you well with this. You need credit? You need uh, time? You need a reduction, a discount for, for one, two months? And also that was part of the strategy. It was not a recipe for all. It was a specific thing for each client depending on the situation of the client, right? And you can't imagine how much clients were appreciative of this initiative because they would say, oh, not every, not every vendor of ours is willing to help us in this way. That translated in a few months when the economy started to recover, especially in our area of, of, of IT to upsell a lot of stuff to the clients that were affected by the crisis at the beginning. So that's how we managed the whole thing during the crisis. And, and, and you know, we wrote a lot about it and, and, and a lot of the things that we do, I explained, but this is exactly what, what, what we, we did at the beginning. Well, thanks, Andres. I have enjoyed our conversation for sure. To all of our listeners, you can go and read these leadership thoughts on our blog and download the wartime manual on our website. There you will learn more about how our CEO managed the COVID crisis. Once again, thank you Andres for all this valuable information. Yeah, thank you Santi for having me and uh, letting me share my ideas with everyone. Bye everyone. Once again, thank you for tuning in to the Job City podcast. If you liked what you heard today, please visit our website www.jobcity.com. That's www.jobsity.com and subscribe to our blog. Also, please follow us on LinkedIn and Facebook for more great content created just for you.